the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that you have called us to yourself. Lord, speak now your word to us that we may be transformed. That in this new season of our lives, this new season of the, the church year, in this new season of our church's life, to help us be watchful and attentive and to change our minds and simply to believe you. We pray this through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Good evening. If you weren't here last Sunday, I announced that this is a new season for our church. Yes, it's Advent. We wear different colors. See? I love the liturgical church because it, it kind of grades on a curve. For those of us, like me, who are a little slower and maybe don't notice other things, we can notice colors. So we have this different color. We're lighting this Advent wreath. We know that Christmas is close by. We know that the world around us has a narrative that's kind of centered on North Park Mall somehow, some way. And Central Expressway just seems to clog up all of a sudden. But we know that God also has a narrative for us and that he is birthing something in us. Yes, as a church, as we become our own community, as we take responsibility for lots of things, but I believe God is doing that in many of us as individuals, and the relationship isn't separated. What God is doing in you as an individual is very much connected to what God is doing in us as a church. That's a symbiotic relationship. They're connected. They're cooperative. When one of us celebrates, we all celebrate. When others of us mourn, we all mourn together. And so as we step forward, we see and hear the words of John the Baptist and the words of Isaiah the prophet in a new way. So I want to have a little caveat for you. Yes, John the Baptist is speaking specifically about Jesus and preparing the way and repenting. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. Repent, come out, be baptized. But I want us to hear his words and Isaiah's words as he speaks these words of comfort. Comfort my people. Proclaim to Jerusalem that her warfare is ended, that she's been pardoned all her sins, that she's, been, she's given double for her iniquity already. But now those are wiped away. So Isaiah speaking into a very specific time when the Messiah would come, the Savior of the nations would come, Emmanuel, God with us, the one that Israel had longed for, the one that author Thomas Cahill says that the people of Israel were in such desperation for a Savior. They had forsaken their language of Hebrew, their mother language, that he said was the same language that they would have dreamt in, the same language that would have nourished them from the time that they were children. 
And they'd become so overrun in this time period leading up to when John the Baptist would go and preach. They'd become so overrun that they'd forsaken that language and taken on Aramaic. So they had lost all hope. So one, the prophet speaks comfort and consolation. And another prophet speaks repentance and come to the wilderness. Those are all leading to our Lord Jesus Christ where all of creation can now have hope. You and I, dead and lost in our trespasses and sins, totally orphaned by the world, can now be cleansed and made alive and be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God with His very Spirit, with His very self in us as a guarantee, as a reminder, as a testimony. So that is definitely what John and Isaiah are speaking into. But what I want us to look at tonight are those new things that God may be doing in us. Some of you may be about to hit a new life phase. Some of you are adding your first child or your second or third or fourth. Some of you may have lost a loved one recently. Some of you may be coming to a reckoning with a difficult transition in life that you just kind of stuffed down and it's rearing its ugly head and boy, is it ugly. And as you revisit those old memories, every corner that you turn is fraught with fear and dread. So I want us to hear tonight Isaiah's words and John the Baptist's words in light of what God is doing in you as an individual, but how that is gathered up as a collective for us as a church. Does that make sense? So we're, we're not taking the Bible out of context. We're just applying it to our lives in this immediate space. So let me tell you why we're going to do that. It's because I have struggled with thought life, with hearing what God thinks of me and seeing all the blessings around me, you included, and forgetting, not remembering, and not being quite as dramatic or as without hope as the people of Israel, but sometimes just wallowing in my own self-pity that leads to sadness and anger and just, you know, just kind of depressing thoughts. So at the risk of over-processing and over-sharing with you, I want, to, I want you to know that's the context that I'm coming from. So maybe God's doing something new, and you heard me talk last week about looking for that and being attentive to that. Pay attention to that tonight as I'm talking. So we have these two prophets. Oh, man. Did you know what the Hebrew definition for the word anxiety is? I'm told by people who know such things that it's, it's like having too many prophets in one room. We might say too many cooks in one kitchen. So tonight, we have not one but two prophets. And they're speaking to us and they're coming from different places, it seems like. It seems like they have two different messages. We have one whose method, Isaiah is consoling, caressing, very different from the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, these, these chapters 40 through 66. In 40, he proclaims this comfort, this consolation. Let me get my bulletin. If you have your bulletin or maybe a Bible, follow along with me. Isaiah's on page 3, Mark's on page 4. 
So these two different messages, Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended. Now, if you stop right there and think about the city of Jerusalem, it is a city that has been contended for by civilizations and nations and leaders for from time immemorial, since civilizations were around. Even today, in the political environment and atmosphere, just one phrase from one world leader can set off a fury. And so, these words of Isaiah are not void of meaning. They are deeply meaningful. Your warfare has ended. Yes, the temple has been destroyed. Yes, it's been burned. Yes, you've been exiled into another community. And remember, we're th I'm, I'm speaking in, in images of Israel, but you're thinking about your own life. Yes, you've experienced that depravity and death and that loss of home, perhaps even. But the Lord proclaims to you, your warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So Isaiah's message is very comforting. It's caressing. It's consoling. But John the Baptist, he's the guy that you never really want to come to the party. You always invite him to the party. Because if you don't, you know there's going to be Sheol to pay. But he has a different approach. If one is consoling and caressing, John the Baptist is wagging his finger. You brood of vipers, he says to the Pharisees and Matthew and Luke. Who told you? Who warned you of the judgment to come? So John the Baptist is calling for repentance. Consoling, comfort. Hey, it's going to be okay. Deep breaths. Happy thoughts. Repent! Be baptized. And not only does he do that, he does it from a particular place. Do you love what Mark says? John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. I've been to the wilderness where John the Baptist baptized people. And let me tell you, if anything appears there besides a mirage, you're lucky. Because it's about the most God-forsaken looking place that you can imagine. Over here is a vista of dirt and sand, followed by another vista of dirt and sand. And as you wind your way around to the Jordan River, you see trees and monasteries and things, but you also see more rocks and dirt and sand. We'll get into the wilderness in just a moment. So, seemingly two different messages, comfort, consolation, repent. Let me make sure, I've got lots of notes tonight, so I'm going to make sure I'm reading them all. Both trying to make ready for something that is to come. One caressing, one wagging his finger. Is that me? It must be. It's part of my rugged, handsome good looks. So, two prophets with two different methods, two seemingly different messages, but their message, in essence, is the same. And they're both saying what? Get ready. Look at Isaiah verses 3 to 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So, again, 
that terrain in that part of the country is, is rough, it's wild, and there are a lot of mountains, a lot of valleys. For all of that to happen, that's something miraculous is coming. And so Isaiah in his message is saying, get ready, believe, God is at work. You've thought that he's forsaken you, but he's at work. Remember, you're hearing this and applying it to your life now. How have you felt forsaken? How have there been seemingly insurmountable mountains or valleys in front of you? Isaiah, consoling and caressing, says, get ready. John the Baptist, the one that wags his finger, the one that we're not sure we want him to show up to our party, what does he say? Well, he says, repent. Change your mind. Believe. Be ready. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Skip ahead to verse 7. That's on page 5 of your bulletin. And he preached saying, after me. So John's not saying, I'm the guy. Look at me. John is telling them to repent, telling them to be ready and make way for something that is to come. Something bigger. Something better. Something that will really bring Full redemption. Something that John says, I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie this guy's sandals. That's about the lowest you could be in the Jewish culture. That's about as low as you could be. They didn't even let their servants stoop down and untie their sandals. And then he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word repent in Greek simply means to change your mind. Change your mind. That is what I have struggled with so much lately, is giving mental assent. But God, I don't feel like that. And God, and very gently, not wagging a finger, lets me go on and on and on. And I had a, I had a real moment yesterday where it was a very Charlie Brown moment where I'd put up all my Christmas lights and I tested them all and yeah, there were a few out, but not a lot. And then I get them up on the roof after some travail and some, some inner dialogue, if you will. And it's, it was very Christmas vacation, except no one was out there. But I, I, stand, before, I stand before the house to behold the glory of the... And there's a section of like four feet where all the lights are just out. And so later I try to switch them and it just doesn't work. And so I'm, I'm in there and God just says, God just puts this refrain of a song that I've, I've known for years. And it's from a psalm. You are good. You are good. And your love endures forever. And the Lord was very gently inviting me to repent. To change my mind. To quit focusing on the narratives that would have distracted me and allured me away from the reality and the goodness and the beauty that God is orchestrating all around me. Jay, look at your family. Look at your church. Believe that I am good. That my love endures. So even though, I know I'm not supposed to adjust that, even though John and Isaiah have a different message seemingly, they're both telling us to change our minds. Jerusalem, your warfare is ended. P 
people of God, people of, Jew, of Israel, Jewish people, repent, be baptized, come out and do that in the wilderness. Not only do they have the same kind of message to change our mind, but they do this with an acute eye to sonship. Maybe I should use the handheld microphone. Is that what we're going to do now? Take this moment to thank God for all the good things happening in your life. Do I get that time back? <laughs> Judges? This is complicated now. I've got to hold this microphone. So not only do they have the same message, but they do that with a keen eye towards sonship. Look what Isaiah says. Oh, this is one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Not only does God perform this miracle, not only does he come with the might of his arm, the prophet says, not only does he come with his recompense before him, so he's very much a judge. He's very much the one before whose breath all flesh will fade and would fade like grass. But he comes like a shepherd. He comes like a father, like a father ought to be. And I love that last phrase, he will gently lead those that are with young. I shared last week that, that many of you are, are experiencing a newness in your relationship with God. Maybe God's doing something new. Maybe it's really difficult and hard and frustrating. And what that passage really impressed on me today, this week, was that for some of you, that new thing is it's kind of like having a young child where you have to give all your attention and all your time and all your effort to it. And it can be exhausting. And even so, the shepherd pays special care to you. But you're not going to be left behind in your effort of caring for this, of cultivating what God is doing in you. Isaiah preaches with an eye toward sonship. Also, John the Baptist when he invites the people of Israel to come out to the wilderness, and he doesn't say, hey guys, come on out with me. I mean, he's out there. He's appeared. He's doing his thing. And it says that all of Jerusalem and the people of the country of Judea are coming out to him. The walk from Jerusalem out to the Jordan where John was baptizing is not an easy walk. It was full of peril. That's the same path that uh, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan where the robbers came upon that, that man and the Samaritan helped him. Not only that, but it's a drop of about 3,400 feet from Jerusalem, which is about 3,000 feet above sea level, something around there, to around Jericho, which is like 800 feet below sea level. So in calling the people out to the wilderness... They have to put forth effort. When God is unfolding something in your life and in my life, we have to put forth effort. It doesn't mean you're earning your salvation. That's not what this is about. 
But it does mean that you have to listen to him. And that, that the work of being a son or a daughter of God, while privileged beyond imagination, while we are co-heirs with Christ and will inherit the, the glorious riches of the saints, that St. Paul says is, is like the same power that raised Christ from the dead, it's arduous. It's difficult. It was not easy for those people to come out to John and be baptized and to change their mind, to quit believing the lies of the enemy, to quit believing the lies of the world, and to believe what God was saying to them. It took effort, but not only that, but he called them out to the wilderness. That was the place where God provided every need for the people of Israel. Do you remember the wilderness? When they wandered for 40 years, yes, it was a place of wandering. Yes, it was a place of disobedience. Yes, it was a place where they hardened their hearts and they did all sorts of wrong things, so much so that that generation that left Egypt did not get to enter into the promised land, but it was also a place where God provided for their every need. Where Psalm 121 rings so true, the sun shall not strike you by day. God was their cloud over their head. He was their pillar of fire at night. He gave them quail and manna, meat and bread, water from a rock. What more could they have asked for having passed through the Red Sea? The call that John the Baptist issues us is a call to remember the time when every single thing seemed to be hand-fed to us by God, because the season we're about to embark on may not seem like that. It may be a season where we remember that we're children of God, even though we don't feel like it. Where we remember the experiences that we've had, that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, even though we may think that God is nowhere to be found. Some saints have gone decades without hearing from God, sensing his presence. Isaiah and John invite us to remember, to change our minds. And when we do, when we do remember that, we can live into that reality of being sons and daughters of God in a new way. I'll never forget, after my dad had died, hearing stories about his vision for our family because he never he never told us these stories and we would hear bits and pieces here and there but after hearing kind of the whole story of what my dad had experienced and how he wanted to lead his family i was i was so overwhelmed with gratitude and i was emboldened in a new way in my identity as his son even though he had passed on to the next life my identity as his son was renewed and it made me even more proud to be his son. It made me even more confident of the things that he had done for me and my brother and my mom. But more so, it made me want to emulate him. And how much more with God when we remember, what do we do at this table every single Sunday night? And why do we do it every Sunday night? We remember we say a lot of words up here. Don't let them pass you by like a commercial. The words that we speak here are the essence of our identity 
as God's sons and daughters. The feast that we partake of, that's our victory feast. That's our covenant meal. Every time we take this feast, we should be changing our minds and believing the truth of who God is and the truth of who he says we are. So, these two prophets have seemingly different messages, but really they're the same, to change our minds, to repent, to believe, to believe that he's good, to believe that we're sons and we're daughters. And lastly, we do this also that we can walk in this new season. God is birthing something in us as a church. I don't know what it's going to look like in 10 years. I have hope. I have excitement. God is birthing something in you as individuals and as families. He tends that work. He shepherds it with extra care. It's not haphazard. It's real. And he says, repent. Change your mind. Believe it. It's real. You didn't make it up. It's real. We look for the new work that he's doing. We look for what he's doing in us as a community and as individuals. And as I said earlier, they're related. They're symbiotically related. As we grow as individuals, we grow as a community. When one suffers, we all suffer. So what's the invitation? Well, really, it's, hopefully you've gotten the invitation by now, but it's to change your mind, to believe the truth of God that he's, who he says you are, you are. Period. There's no qualifiers. Our feelings can get in the way. We, so we believe the new and the good that he's doing in us. We have a thousand distractions all around us that compete for what God is doing in us. There are a thousand different narratives that we can hitch our wagon to. A thousand different hopes and dreams that this world has for us. But there is a singular vision that God is inviting us to live into. It will be marked with pain. It will be marked with goodness and glory and exaltation but he doesn't want us to shy away from it. And especially if you're revisiting these old places in your life that you've just kind of pushed away, that you've kind of suppressed, don't try to sugarcoat it. Process it. God is big enough to hear you out. But know that what other people have said about you or have done to you or whatever world you're living into at this moment, that is going to fade away. There is one narrative. There is one story that will not fade away. And that's the one that he's calling you into. And we hear it at the very end of Isaiah, that consoling prophet. All flesh is like grass. The flowers are going to fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This season of Advent, this season of looking and wait, waiting and watching, trust his word for you. Trust Jesus, period, 
and trust the new season that he's calling you into. Let's pray. Lord, we trust you. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we love you. Forgive us for where we have erred. And Lord, nudge us along as a shepherd nudges those sheep. In Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.